Don't you feel like most of the time we need to be the comeback kid that uh, somehow or another we get away from God? We kind of forget who God is. He is here this morning. Is he not? Wow, worship was awesome and it continues to be awesome. Close your eyes with me. God, we pray right now in the name of Jesus and all of his great authority, he passed to us. He said, you will have power in Jesus' name to cast out demons, to see people's lives change, to see the gospel go forward and be spread. And we trust you this morning, God, that you are so big that you can move mountains. You are so big, God. The enemy wants us to be lost in our race in life. And God, you want us to realize that there's always a comeback. There is always a way back with you, Jesus. Makes us realize that no matter what our past holds, the past is in the past. And the future is bright. There is no condemnation to us who are in Christ Jesus. Praise you, Lord. We praise you today. We are not here to entertain one another. We are here to lift up an incense of praise to your throne this morning. Are we not? If you're a child of God in the morning, lift your hand to him. Lord, we take our praise and we, we send it to you this morning because we love and adore who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. You, you may be thinking, wow, it's like my life is over. It's over. I've failed too much. There's no way back. And God is saying, no, you need to um, get a little momentum in your life and stretch your imagination. God has great things that he wants to do. you got to smile if you want that to happen. Fake it, right? 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. God has something beyond this life that is so momentous that we should be living for that every day, focused on that every day. And when we are, other people will come to Christ. Too many of us get caught up in all the little things that are going on that we keep record of in our brains and say, there's no hope. There's no turning back from my marriage, from my personal life, or the things that I've experienced in the past. And we keep looking back only to be discouraged. God says, you can't lose me. You cannot get rid of me that easy. You, by the way, you got to come tonight. If you ever saw a group that exemplifies hope, it's got to be Watoto Children's Choir. They dance like crazy. They sing like crazy. They are amazing. Come tonight. It starts at 6 o'clock. It actually, in all my years of ministry, this is actually my favorite group that I've ever had in any of our churches, the Watoto Children's Choir. I want to go there and visit them. Anybody else want to go? Yeah, 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 if you only had the money, right? If you only didn't mind 25 hours in the air, Moses is in a dangerous spot today. He's right in my spitting range. Uh -huh. See, you might like it better if I'm up there, but I like it better down here because I can walk around. God is doing amazing things. I'm interested, is Kyle here? Kyle, the guy that came with you, Jason? Is he here today? Kyle, come up here a second, real quick. He looks like a little kid, but... He's actually, you're 21, right? Well, so um, he's been visiting our church because Jason and Tim Becker brought him along with them. He works with them, right? What do you do there? He's a network engineer, whatever that means, okay? Something to do with computers? Okay, there you go. I have no idea. Still don't have any idea. But something amazing happened yesterday, right? What was that? First time in my life, I accepted Christ. Yeah, there you go. And so he's been visiting our church, and he actually been coming to my mentoring group on Thursday with the guys, right? And this week we talked about Nicodemus and how he was looking from a distance. And then yesterday you were hanging out with Ryan Pritchard. What was that all about? talking about uh, how I can get started in purchasing my own home. And in the course of the conversation, what happened? Well, we were talking about what I was doing there. Just 
I came from and how long I've been coming. And we had prayed together, and in that moment, I, I had just testified that what, what Pastor Gary had said at the last luncheon was coming from a Lutheran background, I did my profession of faith. I didn't know what that meant for me. I needed to make the choice to bring God into my life. That's good. That's good. That's good right there. He had no idea I was going to call him up here because if he did, he probably wouldn't have come today, <laughs> most likely. Awesome. To have, it's awesome to have you in the family of God, isn't it? Without doubt, the best way to grow a church is through people coming into the kingdom. And that happens when you're excited about your walk with God and you're so excited about God, period, that you are asking God the question, God, how can you use me? How do you want to use me? And so there are opportunities all the time out there. There are opportunities around us all the time to point people to Christ. We just pass them on. We don't realize that that could be the moment that someone comes into the kingdom of God. I found it interesting, a the true story of a, um, of a young boy that his mom told him to go upstairs and go to bed. And like most kids, he went into his room and messed around for an hour. She came up to check on him and he was sitting staring out the window. True story. Looking up at the sky and she said, she said, Jim, why aren't you in bed yet? You should be asleep by now. And he just says, because I'm, I'm staring at the sky and I'm staring at the scar, stars and, and, and the moon and I'm thinking, one day I'm going to walk on the moon, Mom. And she kind of chuckled and thought, sure, now go to bed. In between that point in his life and he was 32 years old, he had a terrible, fatal, almost near fatal car accident where almost every bone in his body was broken. Talk about a major setback in his momentum. And yet he overcame that and became an astronaut that actually walked on the moon. You talk about overcoming adversity to, to fulfill a dream. A lot of us have dreams in the room this morning, but we can't see any way that that's possibly going to happen. And so we get caught up in and hung up on what's going on right now in our lives. And I'm glad that God... God has a future for us. There's a future for you. You came in here this morning by God's design, not your own, by God's design. Would you agree? God wanted you here today, and already God's been speaking. He already has, yes. Yes, he has. It was T.E. Lawrence who said, all men dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds awake to the day to find it was all vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous men, for the many, act, the many act out their dreams with open eyes to make it possible. I'm a dreamer. I'm a dreamer. Some people would say, Rock Church is done. Rock Church is not going to make it. Or your business is done, and it's not going to make it. Or your marriage is over, and it's not going to make it. Or you want someone in your family to change, and it's not happening. In fact, you've almost grown accustomed to the fact that you thought you had to live that way. You're an intelligent person. So as I study on Saturday nights for two or three hours, I always try to go deeper into what I'm thinking about the subject that I'm talking about. And I don't want this to be boring to you, but I found it was interesting. As I type in things, you, you find the most interesting responses to questions that you have on the Internet. Ten reasons why intelligent people never achieve success. I thought, well, that would be interesting to read. I'm going to quickly go through them. It's not on the screen. You have to look here. Number one, they overanalyze everything. Their dream never comes true because they're so busy analyzing it. They never accomplish their goals. They don't finish their projects because they overanalyze. And already someone in the room is going, oh, my gosh, I should probably go to the bathroom right now or get up and leave because I can just tell this is about me, right? Number two, they rely too much on their intelligence to get them through rather than supernaturally needing a miracle from God. Who in the room needs a miracle? Raise your hand. Most of us need a miracle. Yes. Number three, 
They have an ego. Some people say a certain sport is the only sport. If you don't play football, you're just a wuss. Soccer is for wusses. And the people who pay, play soccer say football is stupid. They're all stupid guys on football. Now I have two groups offended with me, soccer players and football players. Do you know how your ego is wired? So the thing that you're doing, you want that to be very, very important in the bigger picture. Number four, they put theory over practice. They actually think to themselves, I think this will work. But it's not working. And you know what they say about things that you do over and over again in your life and expect the same turnout? Insanity. Maybe you should try something different. Because it's not working. Yeah, God is big. That's the bottom line. Help me to understand the greatness of our God, and life will go a lot differently. We were praying on the way to church this morning, and my wife said, God, I know. She, she was praying. She said, I know that you, you're not the God of disappointments. And then I prayed. I said, God, you disappoint me a lot of times. That, seriously, don't you sometimes feel very disappointed in something that you prayed about? Yes or no? You're extremely disappointed, and, that, and then you, you put that on God's shoulders. Well, God, because you just didn't answer my prayer, so it would turn out this way. And God is actually saying to you, no, the result may not be what you had desired, but the result still will prove that God is good. Down the road, you'll see that. Number five, they're scared to change. They're just scared to change. They've been doing this so long, they can't picture change. So it stays the same way for and ever and ever because they're too afraid. Number six, they avoid mistakes. The psychologist and world-famous TED speaker by the name of Carol Dweck wrote a book recommended by Bill Gates called The Mindset of Psychology of Success. In the book, she discovered that unsuccessful people had sometimes called a, called a fixed mindset these people believed that they could never improve and didn't see mistakes as learning lessons. We all make mistakes. You're going to have mistakes in your life. It's, it's a learning lesson, and your attitude toward it will determine whether you go forward or not. Is that correct? Let's practice saying amen. amen. Only this side. Amen. Only this side. How about a big amen? amen? I feel so blessed. I feel like dancing. When are we going to throw off all that, in, you know, that insecurity and actually get up and dance? I texted Ryan last night with all the tattoos and the, the hard body. <laughs> I texted him and said, I hope you're going to be there tomorrow. He'll protect me if anybody tries to kill me. But I hate to tell you this, Ryan, they'll never get through Bob. Never get through Bob. They'll try to shoot me, and Bob will jump up and stop the bullet. It'll only go about 12 inches in and not hit me. <laughs> then I said, I actually said to him, are you going to be there in the morning for church? Because when you guys are here, I'm free. Seriously. I actually feel free because I see them up there dancing. I'm thinking, how can you hold it in? How seriously can you hold it in? Number seven, they have entitlement mentality. They actually have the mentality that they deserve better than this. Number eight, they're tempted by too many goals. Once upon a time, there was a donkey. And on one side of the donkey was a bunch of food. And on the other side was a bunch of water. And they were thirsty and they were hungry. And so the donkey kept looking back at the food and then looking over at the water. And then looking back at the food and looking over to the water. And the donkey died. End of story. Indecisiveness leads to death. You got it? Indecisiveness will lead you down a path that will ultimately kill you. Because all that time that you're wasting on trying to decide the color of the wall in your house could have been spent better a lot, a lot better other ways. And then I, I, 
had to write on the next page because there were too many. There were 10 goals, and I only had room for eight. They lack emotional intelligence. People that are very, very intelligent often lack emotional intelligence. They don't know what to do with these feelings they have inside. They don't know where they should direct them. So as a general rule, it's everybody else's fault. Have you noticed a culture in America today that they, you need to have someone to blame for what you're feeling inside? And everybody should be a winner. And everybody should get the solo. And everybody should be cheered. And I say hogwash with that. No, seriously. And number 10, they lack social intelligence. They're not very good at, at relationships. They're not real good at relationships. And then I wrote in my notes, there's a difference between optimism and pessimism in this way. The pessimist observes the situation, generalizes the bad aspects, and interprets them as permanent and as constant and that they can never change. In contrast, the optimist observes the same situation, sees the bad aspects, particularizes them, and interprets them as a temporary obstacle that can be overcome. Hallelujah. Yes. You know what? They overcame through the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. That's how they overcame. The scripture says that. They overcame through the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The blood of the Lamb covers everything. All my sin is erased. There is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. The blood of the Lamb gives me purpose in life. The blood of the Lamb takes away those demonic spirits that attack you in the middle of the night and say there's no hope, you're worthless, and you're just a piece of garbage, and you can't change. The blood of the Lamb gives you a testimony. Well, I don't, something has happened in my mentoring group. I had a mentoring group since we started our church almost six years ago, and, I, and we usually had about 15 guys that came. So I, I, I dropped it for the last half a year, a year, then I decided, no, it's worth it because a great man came to our church, Tim Becker. I, I don't know, are you here today, Tim? Their family joined our church because of Tim, our mentoring group. He's over there. And um, I'm so happy they did. But you never know who you're going to touch with this thing that you're doing. You never know who this is going to affect. And so when I, this year, when I started at three weeks ago, half of the group was outsiders. There were new people. Two Hispanic guys, one that couldn't even speak English, shared his testimony. They've been there all three weeks. And this week I must have had six or seven guys I don't even know that came from the community, came into my mentoring group, and I spoke about Nicodemus. Because when I think of someone who was looking to find the mind of God and, and looking for answers in life, I think of Nicodemus. And he stood there and he said, what must I do to get into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, you must be born again. Kyle was in the room. I actually gave an invitation this time. And about five or six guys did not raise their hand. They were saved. And I started praying, God, you're going to be the one that saves them. Ryan Pritchard is in my group. He was there Thursday. And he knew that. And he, when he met with Kyle, I don't know if Ryan was peeking, but I think it's, it's spiritual peeking. You know, it, it is. It's spiritual peeking. I, I say, everybody close their eyes. Have you ever noticed there's some people that are like, all those in the room that have sin in their life are going to raise your hand. Close your eyes, everybody else. And they're like, oh, did you know that that Jeremy Cook has a lot of sin in his life? Yeah. He, okay, yeah, Pastor. He didn't raise his hand. So I don't know how Ryan found out, but I was really blessed. I was actually interacting with Dirk on, uh, on, and texting. And right then, Ryan Pritchard says, I, I got I to tell somebody this, Pastor. I got a three-way phone call right now. I got Kyle. Remember Kyle from Mentee Group? I got him on the other line. There's the three of us, and I'm listening. And Kyle goes, I just want you to know that I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And I'm like, "Woo, Jesus, take the wheel. One cup of coffee does this to me. <laughs> you know what happened? It wasn't just Kyle that got saved. It was Ryan who, like, got saved all over again. You know what I'm saying? 
There's some, God puts that spark inside of you that all of us are desperately looking for. In a world that seems so hopeless, God is amazing. Wow, when you get to lead somebody to Christ, it's crazy. 1 Corinthians 2.9, verse I already shared, no eye has seen or ear has heard. No mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. God's dreams for your life are mind-boggling, but you are getting ensnared by lies and deceit and hurt and offense and all the, oh, yes, don't tell me you're not. I do it all the time. I, I get my feelings hurt because somebody said something or did something, and it literally stops me dead in my tracks. Every time we sin as a Christian, it almost stops us dead in our tracks, and we need to remember this. There is always more than enough grace to cover your sin. That doesn't mean you should just run out and sin, but there's plenty of grace. With God's power working in us, God can do much, much more than anything we could even ask or imagine. Oh, and I wrote one more thing on my sheet last night. The challenge to living with the anxiety of a life of nothingness. Have you resolved that now you must live your life as a life of nothingness? Or have you said to God, God, I, I'm wide open. Show me. Show me the things that you want to see happen. Show me, God. This is not the end. This is the beginning. Are you listening? Because you come in the room and you think to yourself, there are some things that God is never going to change. I know there are several people in that boat today. There are some things that are not going to change. I've resolved myself to just accept this. Baloney. Dream again. Imagine big. Imagine really big. Because Napoleon said it, imagination rules the world. It's more than knowledge. Imagination is the fuel of momentum. It is. Don't give up. Say, God, I'm not giving up. I've been praying for something, and I'm going to believe it's going to happen. I've been praying for someone that needs to change. I've been praying about my situation to change, and God says, you ought to do it. So I wrote some things that should have been on a card. Did we ever pass them out, Katie? Did you get a little card? Yeah. Somebody go, card? Was there food on it? Was it a gift card? Was it free lunch at Culver's? I just wrote some things on there that I got to go through really quickly. Number one, you got to let go. Got to let go because doubt is a great enemy of God's dream for your life. It limits your potential. It causes procrastination. It causes you to miss God's best. Because while you're doubting and trying to decide whether you should eat the food like the donkey or drink the water, this is somebody in the room. Should I eat the food or drink the water? And God is saying, you got to make up your mind or you're going to die. Some people are nearly dead this morning because you just can't make up your mind where you want to go or what you want to do with your life. They need to let go. James 1, 6 says, anyone who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven by the wind and tossed. I learned it years ago. Joshua had a doubt problem. I literally asked myself, what in the world happened that caused the children of Israel to roam in the wilderness for 40 years? And then I think to myself, wait a second, you already know the answer. Because you, Pastor, you, Pastor Gary, you often doubt that God is even there. You doubt God that he could change you. You doubt that God's word is true, that he has something great planned for you. God is looking for dreamers. He's looking for people with imagination. I, I, myself, I just, in, in my story, I have seen where doubt has limited me. You got to think about Joshua. He's on the edge of victory, of going in and taking the promised land. And God never said it would be easy. He was a successor to Moses. How would you like to follow up somebody like Moses? Hey, seriously. How would you follow Moses? Think about this. You are in a position where you, you want to see something accomplished, but there's this obstacle in the way, and it may be a person that's blocking you from becoming what God would have you to do because of doubt. And I think Joshua and Caleb went into the land with the other spies, with the ten other spies. And I, I thought about it all night last night. I even typed it in. 
Why didn't Joshua and Caleb just go into the land by themselves? Because proud rules. Yes, it is. It's because group thought rules. Group thinking rules. Well, we got to be careful we don't offend anybody. It would be offensive if we said we should go into the land. Because, because I agree, there are big giants in the land. Caleb and Joshua did not deny that. But they didn't go in. 40 more years, 38 more years in a dry, barren desert? Is that what you really want? Is that what you really want? I want to drink at the springs of living water. Jesus said, if you drink at my well, you'll never go dry. There will always be something fresh inside of you. Seriously, Christian, listen to me. The reason why you're, you're in this dry spell of doubt in your life is because you're not drinking from the springs of living water. You take any person in this room, I promise you, any person in the room, and put them back in the word of God on a morning basis every day, be in the word of God, and, and take that as the water for your day, you'll be alive. You'll be affecting other people. Yes, you will. You won't even know where God's going to take you because a lot of people in the room right now don't know where to go from here, and God is saying, it's because you're not drinking. You have too much doubt, and then you have fear. Not only that, but the assignments that God gave him, he said, Joshua, you're going to be the guy who goes in and leads a little band of slaves who've been running around the desert for 40 years. And I'm sure he's, he didn't say a little band of slaves. He said, it's overwhelming to me. It's, this thing that you're expecting me to deal with is overwhelming. I can't do it. it. It's not possible. I cannot lead all those people in the promised land. If Moses couldn't do it, I can't do it. It's not true. God's told you to do something. He will give you the grace and the strength to do it. Is that correct? No, but you want to pout. You want to pout and you want to doubt. Yes. You want to fear. You want to fear. Oh, my excuse is I'm just afraid. I can't do that, Pastor. I just can't do it. And God says, saying, you need to get over that. They're standing on the banks of the Jordan River. Wow. You get to cross over with all those other spies and go in and check things out. And when you come out with, you're thinking, man, all of us are in this together. We're going to do great things because all of us, all 12 of us are in this together. We're going to go in and conquer the land. And 10 of the guys come back and say, can't go in, can't go in, can't go in. It's beautiful, isn't it? There's fruit in there. There's water after being in the desert. There's amazing food. It's just amazing in there. But, mm -hmm, that but has hindered you forever. It has. We need a pep talk. Joshua 1, four times he said, four times, be strong and courageous. He said, Joshua, the first thing you're going to have to do if I'm going to use you is you're going to have to let go of your doubt. Be bold and strong. Banish fear and doubt. From, for remember, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Doubt is a choice. Yes, it is. Isn't it? This is what you got to do. You got to do this for yourself. Get out, Satan. Get out of my doubt. Get out of my doubt or you're going to sit and pout. Yes. Get out of my doubt. Say it. Get out of my doubt or I'm going to sit around and pout. I've made these mistakes and it's too late. No, it's not too late. It's never too late. God can do great things this very moment. Doubt is a choice. Ladies and gentlemen, doubt kills far more dreams than failure ever will. You're not going to get good at something unless you can be corrected and learn and learn and listen and learn and say, no, I'm going to take that the right way, or you're going to doubt and pout. Well, you're just crushing my spirit. No, you're crushing your spirit. Yeah, you are. You're listening to the enemy instead of God. Why do we have so many self-doubts about God using us? I think there are two things that cause self-doubt. Number one, comparison. If you get caught up in this comparison thing, you're dead. 
If you compare your marriage to that marriage over there, you're dead. If you compare your skills to that guy's skills over there, you're dead. If you compare your looks to that guy's over there, you're all going to lose. Seriously. Don't you think so? Yeah, yes. Don't you want to be the comeback story? Do you? I picked that video because I want to be the comeback kid. In June, my wife and I will have been in ministry 44 years. And I said to her this morning, we were in minute, we've been in ministry longer than her father and mother were and longer than her, her twin brother has been. We've been in ministry longer, and I'll tell you why. It isn't because we haven't had doubt. It isn't because we haven't had fear. Because God says, you are an overcomer through the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. You are the overcomer. Moses is always sending me messages from other preachers, and I'm like, is that what that, what is, is he trying to get me to be like them? No, I'm kidding. I actually, the other day, I, I wanted a good message to listen to, and I was going to write to him and say, Moses, send me one. I want to be encouraged. I want to be an overcomer. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says this. We do not classify or compare ourselves with some who commended themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. They're not wise. It's, are you going to sleep? It's not wise to compare yourself to the other person because you are not them. God has given you different gifts. Yes, he has. There's a second thing I think is dangerous besides comparison is retrospection. The other thing that causes you to have self-doubt is remembering your failures all the time. You've come today, but you're so positive that the negative part of your report is all bad. The negative part of your life is too great to overcome the positive things that God has instilled and put inside of you. Remembering our past and our failures is like, kind of like putting a movie in your mind with all the mistakes in it and playing over and over again. I bet you guys know a lot about movies. Uh, I have to do goofy things right now to get some of you awake. Have you gone to sleep? Hmm. Life is like a box of chocolates, right? What movie? Forrest Gump. It's like, it's like the Jesus movie. Forrest Gump. It's like a classic, isn't it? You can still watch it now after it being out for years, and it still has an effect on you because there are a lot of life principles in the movie. You might have a, a lot to overcome, but you can overcome through the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. All you have to do is say to Satan, get out, get behind me. I don't want to hear you because God has me. Moses was a murderer before he became a great leader. Jacob stole his family inheritance. David was an adulterer, and then he had someone murdered. Abraham gave his life a wife away twice. Some of you would like to do that, but that's not a good idea. I'm kidding. <laughs> Katie is helping me. I'm not saying a word because she's sitting right next to me. Makes me twitch. <laughs> the reality is this. 44 years in ministry, we've had a lot of marriage seminars and a lot of talks about marriage. And the bottom line is this, it's just a long obedience in the same direction. Get over the past. Move on. Move on. You're an overcomer. We don't need to counsel with hundreds of people who are having marital problems. God has given you the power to overcome what you see in your marriage. Paul was a terrorist. Peter was a hard-driving, hard-drinking, hard-cussing, salty sea dog. He was a sailor who swore up and down. He had a temper that wouldn't quit. He was always putting his foot in his mouth. And yet God said, I think I'm going to use you, Peter. Doesn't God take the most unlikely people, if we're honest, doesn't God take the most unlikely people 
this is what I, what I have found through life, and I think Bill, my friend Bowman, has taught me this above anybody ever in all my 44 years of ministry, is all the things that happen in your life still point to the fact that God is good. If you're listening, if you're learning, if you're thinking about it. Because there are going to be times when you are absolutely positive God is not good. God is not fair. Why did God allow this to happen? You, you can get in such a dark valley that it's almost impossible to get out. Believe it or not, there are women in the room in that valley today and men in the room in that valley, and you keep looking back and you keep comparing to other people and you think that your situation is worse than anyone else's and that there's no way there can be victory. But I believe this, God uses people with checkered past. Yes, he does. He uses people with checkered past so that the glory can go to God. Yes, he does, doesn't he? He uses people who have a past so that he can say, wow. That's where Elizabeth Truth came from. That's who used her dad. You came to my mind. When I was thinking about that, I was thinking, you've had a rough past, haven't you? Yeah. By the grace of God, they're here every week all the way from Grand Haven and changing. Ooh, and even saying that makes the devil mad. He says, well, I'm just going to give them some trouble on the way home. I'll give them a few flat tires. I hope not, she said. <laughs> Kidding. It's not going to happen. If it does, I didn't do it. All right. Pastor. Yeah, Pastor. You said in church that I'm going to get a few flat tires. You're not going to believe this. We got in our car. You know what I just thought of? Somebody in here might do this. <laughs> I doubt it. God says, I don't care where you've been. And that's what matters. Not where you've been, but where you're headed today. In fact, God wants us to stay focused on the future, forward thinking instead of the past. He built your body that way as a physical reminder, didn't he? For instance, when God put two eyeballs in your head, did he put them in the front or in the back of your head? Yes. Now, you can swear all you want that mothers have four eyeballs, two in the front and two in the back, because they have this intuitive feeling inside that something's going on back there that can be going on, right? Mm-hmm. You put them in the front of your head. When God attached two ears to your cranium, did he attach them forward-facing or backward-facing? Because he, he doesn't want us to listen to the people talking behind our backs. He wants you to forward focus. When he attached your arms to the body, he made them moving forward. When he attached your feet to your body, he put them in a forward position. And he wants us to walk forward in faith and not backward in fear. He's done it with our whole anatomy. And by the way, the only thing that faces backward behind is your behind. Isn't that interesting? The only thing facing backwards that really stinks is your behind. Because it's behind you. Don't think that there's any coincidence with God. It is a fact that God does not want us looking back all the time. Secondly, he wants us to look up. Look up. I guarantee you if, you, if you do this legitimately today and you say, there's so much fear in me, there's so much hurt in me, there's so much in my past that I just, I, I can't get over it. I just can't forgive. I can't, you know, it's, it's crippling me. And God says, no, you need to look up. Because your redemption is near. God is so redemptive. He's always looking out for us, isn't he? Thank God or I wouldn't be standing here today. God is redemptive in all of his ways. He bought you. He paid for you. He wants you back when you're discouraged. He wants you back. He wants you to look up. The word promise is a very important word in the life of Joshua. And it's a key to his success, actually. Thirteen times in the book of Joshua, the word promise is used. If you were to summarize the life of Joshua, it would be called captured, he captured the promised land. God had promised it to him. 
at the very beginning. God says, let's just remind ourselves of the promise that I made, Joshua 1 and 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. Yeah, he's promised this. And at the end of Joshua's life, many, many years later, when he was very old and he was about to die, he looks back over his life and sees that they have conquered all of Palestine. Bravo for Joshua. At the end of his life, Joshua 23, 14, he says, Now my time has come to die, and every one of you knows that God has given you all the good things that he promised. Every promise he has made has been kept. Not one has failed. If you're as old as me, I guarantee you every once and again, you wonder about what it's going to be like to cross over. Yeah, you do. You start to wonder to yourself, I wonder what it's actually going to be like. Uh, Bob, I shared it last week, but I shared it again. Bob Brown had a, a relative that was dying, and he wanted to make sure she was a Christian. He went down to talk to her, and she said, yes, I've accepted Christ. And then what you wrote to me last, I think it was last Sunday afternoon, really stuck with me. He said, at least now that she's crossed over, she is not gasping for breath any moment. My wife was at the side of her father when he passed. He had pneumonia. So many people go into the hospital and they end up with pneumonia. And my wife was at his side as he was gasping for breath. And she just said it was the most hurtful thing you could imagine. Whew, do I think about that? I do. I think, I wonder what it's going to be like crossing over and leaving people behind that I just love. I love my family so much. I love my wife so much. I love my daughter, Danielle, and my son, Dan, I love my Nick and Lexi and Selah so much, I can't even put it into words. Yes. So many ladies and men in this room have lost their parents already, and you miss them terribly. Oh, did I forget, Josiah? Thank you, honey. Would I trade my Asian boy for all the money in the world? Never. By the way, adoption is amazing. It's a gift of God. It's amazing. It's amazing. God has plans for all of us. There are about 7,000 promises in the Bible. Ephesians 3.20 says, with God's power working in us, God can do much, much more than anything we can ask or think. I got to hurry up because I need to finish here. What does God promise? He promises you three things. Strength, number one. No one will be able to stand against you. That's what I found at Rock Churches. I feel that in our short history already, people have tried to stand against us, and God has said, no way. No way, Jose. This is my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Number two is success. In verse 7, he says, you will be successful. I think it promises to everybody. All the people that are, the, are successful are the ones that believe they're going to be successful. Yes, I believe God wants you to dream. I actually have pictures right here of things. We, um, we got our food truck. It's being, it's being painted. It's going to be in the parade. And I had Katie. She did some drawings. It's going to be called Soul Food. It's a ministry to less advantaged children, a food truck. That's the primary ministry. It's going to be in the parade on the 4th of July along with our float. And our float is going to be called Freedom. And it's just a huge eagle where we'll rock for God. We'll be singing freedom hymn that we sang this morning. God frees us, doesn't he? Oh, it's amazing, God, how you free us. Success can sometimes get in the way, though. Support is number three. I'll be with you wherever you go. I'm going to take care of you. I marvel at the fact that we started this church less than six years ago, and I was praying we would have enough money to even make it. We're less than six years old. We are making double payments on our building. This building will be paid off in four and a half years completely. That building is already paid for. We don't owe a penny on the youth building, and it's amazing. And besides that, God keeps adding to us. He keeps not, not subtracting but adding to the church to prove that he's God. He sure does. You got to let go, you got to look up, and you got to lean on. Winston Churchill said this, there are two things that are more difficult than making an after-dinner speech. Climbing a wall which is leaning toward you, 
and kissing a girl who was leaning away from me. Profound, right? You ever try to climb a wall when it's like this? I can't even do it when it's like this. You know? And when a girl leans away from you, it's like, you just broke my heart. Just breaks your heart. It's like, no. No. Turns your head away because your breast is enough to kill a rodent. <laughs> no. You need a tic-tac. Tic-tac. You need Altoids. I, through the years, I'm not making this up. Through the years, I have actually had to tell guys, if you hope to get married, brush your teeth. You know, if you hope to get married, you might want to go get some breath mints. Well, that's so mean, Pastor. No, it isn't. It shows love. Seriously. If a relative of yours has a booger hanging out of their nose, are you just going to let it go? Or are you going to say, you got an issue. You got an issue. And some people look at each other and go, you would use the word booger at church? It's life. It's real life. People who really care want to help you. What do you do when you lean on something? When you lean on something, you say this, I'm trusting him to hold me up. You may think I'm joking when I say this, but I'm not. The older I get, the harder I find it to get up out of a chair. Seriously, if you're in a couch and, you, and, and you're getting old, you know what it is. It's really difficult to do simple things. I hate Velcro. I always thought it was a curse from the devil when he made Velcro shoes. So you know it is, it's possible to get around that even. I have these really cool high-top tennis shoes on. They are cool, aren't they? They're, they're really cool. But they have zippers. Because <laughs> high-tops aren't working so well anymore. Yeah. You figure out how to make it. Joshua 1.5 says, no one will be able to defeat you all of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will not leave you or forget you. Four times God said in this passage, be confident, don't doubt, be strong, be determined. There's one last thing I want to say. you got to launch out. You really do. You need to launch out. God would be saying to someone this morning, you need to forget the past, put that in the past. You need to look up to God. You need to lean on him, and you need to launch out. You need to get over that stuff. This place is going to be packed. This place is going to be full, and then there are going to be two services. And every week, people are going to come to Christ because there are multitudes of people who don't know him. This place will go on for God long after I'm done. This summer, I've asked my son Nick to preach twice and my, my awesome friend Zach to preach twice for some variety, but it will all be powerful as we move forward to the kingdom of God. We need to launch out. Then Joshua issued instructions to the leaders to tell the people to get ready to cross the Jordan River. It's not a very big river. It's only about 100 feet wide and 20 feet deep, except for in flood season. In the spring when all the snow melts off the mountain that comes down into the Jordan River becomes a giant rushing torrential, very dangerous river. I heard Glenn Beck say this week that he has his own interpretation of what it means when they said they crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. He thinks that it was a seasonal thing and the wind just blew it and it dried out. And I say, that's why you and I are not on the same page, Glenn Beck. We might have some thoughts that we're on together, but I disagree with that. I think that God knew that there'd be a torrential river there and he wanted to prove his greatness. And God parted the river and God made it possible for them to get over there without dying and drowning. Yeah, God's a miracle-working God, isn't he? You are so positive this morning that there's no way out of your situation and there's no good end to the story. I say, I think you're wrong. God is saying, what is your Jordan River? Mm -hmm. What is your Jordan River that you can't get through? 
you are struggling with something. You are struggling with something, see, and God is saying, I want you to be strong and courageous. Go in and take the land. I guarantee you if I would have been Joshua or Caleb and all those other ten guys came back and they were being negative, I would have said, shut up. Shut up, you're wrong. God promised us we could take every place we put our foot, and he died fulfilling God's promise to him. I told my wife, I don't think I would have stayed in the desert for 38 more years. I'd have been saying, who wants to go with me? Let's go do it. God said, we can do this. Now, right now, this is the moment where I know God is working in me. Because courage isn't the absence of fear. It's moving ahead in spite of your fear. You have a scenario that you need a supernatural act of God to see take place. It could be physical. It could be marital. It could be family. It could be financial. It could be, I don't know what it is. It could be hurt and bitterness and loneliness and all those things. But God is so big, he wants to mightily, powerfully show you that he is God. And he says to me as a pastor, you need to tell the people not to give up. You need to encourage your flock not to throw in the towel, but stay with God because God can do anything. You got to believe it. You got to speak it by faith, not fear. God can do anything. You pray right now. I pray in Jesus' name right now. God, you put your Holy Spirit is in the house. You are in this room right now going from heart to heart, person to person, married couples, single people, younger people. God, you are saying, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Cast your care upon me because I care about you. Jesus, I pray that your spirit would speak this up. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed real quickly, I don't want to avoid this possibility. You are in the room, and you're not absolutely certain that when you die, you are going to heaven. You're not 1,000% positive, and you're going to raise your hand today and say, pray for me. Anybody in the room? I'm not positive that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. That happened to Kyle this week. God's word doesn't return void. He's saying, you've got to make sure that. You've got to settle that today. You're in the room this morning as a Christian, and there have been these little um, tentacles almost of fear and comparison and concern in your life that have, have taken away some joy, taken away some hope. And you say, pray for me because I'm, I'm going to focus my attention back on God and go in and take the land. Raise your hand. That's me. i, I got to put my focus back on you, God, and trust you for the situation that I'm concerned about. Many people, many people, got to believe. You got to believe. You got to believe because fear is ruling right now saying, I don't believe. Or some other thing is blockading you from hearing the Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name that we would hear of miracles in the next week and be a part of one. In Jesus' name, amen.